This episode of Women on the Rise is sponsored by The Riveter, a work and collaborative space built for change makers. Stay tuned to the end for more information about how you can join The Riveter's movement for women and allies to succeed. You know, it's a practice. This is just sort of the human experience is we get to keep practicing these things sometimes over and over and over <laughs> and integrating what we learn and moving from there. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Laura Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul without turning your life upside down. Today, my guest is Kathy Jukelski, an ex-rocket scientist turned massage and craniosacral therapist who helps thought leaders, IT executives, creative professionals, opera singers, photographers, writers, and overall beautiful human beings to proactively chill the F out and create amazing things in their (laughs) lives. She's also the founder of Shift Massage with offices in Seattle, Washington, the Big Island of Hawaii, and Lancaster, Pennsylvania, a dear friend and one of my favorite people on the planet. Thank you so much for being here, Kathy J. Hooray. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be helping you launch this goodness. Oh my goodness. I I can't wait to have this little conversation with you. So yeah, I, you know, I think what what I'd love to start with is you have such an interesting background from rocket scientist to massage therapist to wellness entrepreneur. Can you just tell us a little bit about that journey and, and what prompted you to begin it? Um, sure. I would say I, it's a lot of it is serendipity. It's definitely not a linear kind of thing. Like I didn't grow up in a touchy feely family or, you know, massage oriented spa oriented family. So the massage thing kind of came totally out of the blue. When I was a corporate road warrior, I was traveling maybe three out of four weeks a month and traveling around the world, had an awesome time. And I would always kind of start scheduling massage appointments in their spas, wherever I was. So it was an exciting time to kind of test the spa environment, different parts of the world. Mm. Then one day I kind of hit this point where I was sitting in an airport and I didn't know where I was like at all. <laughs> like I was, yeah. I figured out I was in America because there was a great American bagel company. Um, <laughs> and then I figured out I was in Chicago and it was kind of at that point where I was like, something needs to change. It wasn't immediate that it would be massage therapy. But it, that was sort of the, the turning point where I was like, okay, this is unsustainable. And my friend was going to med school at the time. And she and I said, hey, when we're in our 40s, why don't we open up a Medi Spa? We were in our early 30s at that time. And um, I said, that sounds great. I don't know what I could do. Maybe help with like the marketing or sales part. She's like, why don't you manage the massage therapist? So being like kind of type A go-getter. I was like, well, I have to understand how massage works. I like receiving it. But I decided to take a weekend class in massage therapy at the local massage school in Seattle. And after the first day, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I signed up for the program the next week. And that is kind of the rest of that. And that was 11 years ago. 
Wow. Yeah. I've heard that story before, obviously. And I, every time I just think it's such a cool journey. And I'm curious, actually, during that time where you were still, as you said, a corporate road warrior and um, leading up to that kind of revelation that you had in the airport that day, what did self-care look like for you back then? Like, what did that mean during that time for you, if anything? I don't know that it was even a, a conversation or a concept that I understood. And even now it's something that I'm like, how, how do I define that? Like, what is my relationship to health and how do I care for myself? At that time, I think the, the majority of winning for self-care was that I was able to make it to the meetings after like a huge night of drinking and eating crazy, decadent, amazing dinners around the world. <laughs> the fact that I was able to like present either hungover or, you know, <laughs> at all, like on four hours of sleep or whatever. I think that was self-care. So it was kind of like this constant push of a combination of caffeine, alcohol, and sheer will mm, <laughs> that, I could, yeah. that I could keep going. Like I was like, all right, I hit the goal. I hit the goal. I made the meeting. I hit the sale. I hit the target. Yeah. So as long as I was maintaining kind of this level of high functioning and high adrenaline, I guess, mm-hmm. that that was sort of my how I took care of myself because I got the job done and you know, was rewarded for that in many different ways. That's so interesting. It's like, it's like for you during that time, it sounds like self-care was about, like you said, the caffeine and all of the things that helped you kind of stay able to function, even though it it, it was um, sort of like artificial stimulants or whatever. And, you know, as you know, I love coffee, so not judging. I'm drinking some now, yes. (laughs) Yes, in fact, yeah. But like, just, it's so interesting that that's how you defined self-care, like whatever you had to do to get to the next meeting and present and, and that sort of thing. So, so thinking about that, like what, what was different in that moment in the airport? Like you said, you know, you had this revelation where it was like, this is, this is not sustainable. Why did you all of a sudden think that and start to see it differently? You know, I think it was just exhaustion, like absolute pure exhaustion. Um, and sort of that moment, at least I've experienced this where kind of that present moment reality, where instead of kind of looking for the next thing that I was on my, that was on my calendar, on my schedule, you know, I had a moment to just be there and feel how exhausted I felt and just kind of, kind of get real, I guess, about the reality. So I guess now I would call it, you know, there was a a moment of mindfulness that my body was exhausted my mind was exhausted. And there was a bit of fear in that too, of not knowing where I was because that was sort of my game was like control. And as long as everything was in control, you know, I was, I was fine. So tell me about that. Like what, what, what were you afraid of in that moment? Well, just being completely disoriented, you know, and that, I think that was the thing of just like, what do you mean? You don't know where you are. Well, you always know where you are. What are you saying? You know? And, um, Mm -hmm. so I think, I think that was the thing is just that, I had no idea where it was. <laughs> that's sort of a, that's an everyday thing that I, that I knew, you know, I always know where I am. Um, yeah. so that yeah. was a new one for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you said earlier that it was kind of a, a process, like it wasn't like all of a sudden things mm. changed in that moment. Right. So yeah. what, what was the, the journey from that point forward and, and what was maybe one or two changes that you made in that, you know, in the preceding weeks or the you know weeks after that, that started you in a different direction? 
one of, one of the biggest shifts was just receiving a lot of body work. I don't remember if that moment was in the middle of massage school or before massage school. I think that was before massage school. But um, I knew I started massage school short, shortly thereafter, somewhere around that area, if not the same time. Receiving so much body work, it was an after hours, post nine to five. So it was an evening program. And we had class maybe 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week. And just receiving that much physical touch and being that quiet and still in your body. And then also giving massage as well really keeps you present with what you are experiencing as both the receiver of massage and the practitioner as well. That was the beginning of the evolution of understanding what it felt like to be safe in my body and to be calm in my body and to be quiet in my body, um, which was completely mm. antithetical to sort of how I existed in my body before, which was either, um, you know, I played soccer like in college and high school. So that was kind of being like really like active in my body to kind of totally tuning out of my body when I was in corporate world because I was in my head so much like in that sort of, mm -hmm. you know, where I live. So I was kind of this head on a body. Um, so I think understanding and returning to that felt sense and understanding that you could be in your body, just in it, in a calm way and learning to understand how my body felt in, in different times. If I put this food in my body, I feel this way. So before it was kind of all high and all low. And so learning that I didn't have to rely on those extreme adrenaline rushes or the extreme depressions, depression and anxiety are kind of like the data points or the set points uh, of where I, I would go between. So I'd either be depressed or really high or depressed or high, depressed or high. So learning how to just be in my body in that middle place without needing like stimulants or without needing the stimulation of depression, which is another, another kind of stimulation, I think. I coach powerful women on the rise every day. And one thing I see us all do is get in our own way sometimes, especially when it comes to eating healthier, exercising more, getting more sleep and kicking the habits that make us feel less than powerful. And here's the rub. We often know we're doing it. We might even know why. What we don't know is what to do about it and how to fit that what into our already overbooked lives. That's why I created my free get out of your own way guide and online workshop. Give me 20 minutes and I'll show you exactly how to stop sabotaging your goals to eat healthier, exercise more, get more sleep and kick the habits that have gotten you out of shape and out of sorts. So you can wake up every day feeling on fire for your life and have the vibrant, healthy and confident career and life you really want. To get your free copy, visit laradolch.com slash free dash guide. What changed for you in your career and in your life when you started to come back to that middle place? I think the biggest thing is being non-reactive. So I have a really, I don't know if many of you, I don't know if you know this. I have a really bad temper. <laughs> and no, so, I did not know uh, that. Yeah, I get really pissed off like really, really quickly um, and really reactive. And I think a lot of that was just I've had anxiety most of my life. So trying to either you know, fix something really quickly or I'm embarrassed that I made a mistake. So there's like this constant tension of anxiety. So learning to kind of mitigate that and be non-reactive made me much more 
functional <laughs> and like a better team team player. It kind of got me out of like the lone wolf mode of operating um, and really helped a lot in, in collaborating with other people. Really mm, interesting. By the way, I love the bird noises in the background in, oh, in your yeah. Hawaiian paradise. Just I a, wish that's a little see it. <laughs> mindfulness moment for our for our listeners. Yeah, I'm, sur- I'm literally surrounded in a sea of green on our back lanai, um, looking at papaya tree, and it's early morning, and the birds are coming out. Palm trees, big mango tree. I love Lovely. it. I love it. That's so that's that's interesting though that you noticed that not only did it help you but it also helped uh the people that you were working with and the people around you to find that middle place. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it helped me um not like blame as much. Like I was definitely into the like no, if you're not doing it right, it's your fault. You're stupid. I'm so smart. So I kind of grew up in this like you're gifted program um and kind of had a lot of a lot of issues around that, <laughs> a lot of baggage around that, um, you know, and was frankly like super judgy and like really rude to people I thought like <laughs> weren't meeting my like magical criteria, which are basically these impossible standards that I would set for myself and the rest of the world around me. So I think, you know, understanding what is my emotional reaction, how does that feel in my body and catching that using breath work primarily tapping sometimes, but uh, just owning it. Like this is an emotional reaction and then kind of developing a protocol of how to, how to function with that felt sense. Yeah, actually. And you know, you talked a little bit a minute ago about uh, growing up and, and sort of the, the mindsets that came from that. Do you have any, I'll call them stories, sort of stories around mm-hmm. health or wellness that, you know, things that maybe you learned about that growing up that have either helped or hindered your, you know, professional and personal goals as an adult? Hmm, I think, um, so great. Like food was a really interesting thing in our family. And I'm realizing now as I'm getting married and kind of starting my own family, how food played into my family relationship. So growing up, we had, my mom was super into the seventies diet. I forget the name of it. I want to say like Marilyn Diamond, but she was like the vegetarian. I don't think that was hmm, it. I don't know. Um, there were so many in the seventies. Yeah. She was like and the eighties and the nineties and now. <laughs> well, she, she like ditched it in the eighties. Like my brothers ate like Elio's pizza and Doritos and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> they got tired after like kid number three, they were like, all right, whatever. <laughs> forget it. Yeah. We're out. Um, so we had that, but then we also had this weird mix in that my dad was a regional supervisor for Burger King. So we would eat a lot of fast food. Oh, too. interesting. I didn't realize so that. That kind of was a blessing in that it like burned out my interest in fast food um, you know, at an early age. So I feel cool about that. I don't have to go crazy on that. But it was sort of this weird mix of also adding in like food is love sort of thing. Like and I think that's like most families or a lot of families, but, um, yeah, food was just kind of a sign of how you show affection to people. So my grandma would make these like crazy meals and you had to like eat all the food. And, you know, if you weren't hungry, you'd still have to eat. Um, so it kind of, kind of is like a typical, like, you know, learning not to trust your body. And, you know, if you're full, you're full, you don't have to eat the rest of it. Um, so I think there was some piece of that 
I think the other big component in my family is they're huge on service to other people. And I think that has served me really well, both in my professional and personal life. Kind of the flip side of that is they weren't in super into like self-care at all or like caring for their own health first. Um, so that's, that's a constant challenge as well for me is kind of balancing that giving and receiving piece of it. Mm, yeah. And what, what do you think it has changed for you knowing that that's sort of part of your story and also knowing that now you, based on what you're saying, sort of prioritize self-care in a different way. How do you combat that story that maybe sometimes runs in the back of your head anyway? You know, I think I just accept it. I think that was the biggest thing is acceptance and mindfulness around just what is the, the present moment reality of it. So there's this place here called Minute Stop and it's a gas station and they have these awesome potato wedges and like, Yum. I love eating them. <laughs> and so just being mindful that like, I'm eating potato wedges from Minute Stop, which is like our local fast food here. So I guess I still do have it in me, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, just being mindful of that and cool with it um, and kind of knowing I'm making that choice. So I, I think that's the, the biggest thing. And, and just, it's a daily practice also not, I think before, you know, I used to look at this as like, I'm going to reach this end goal and then I'm going to be so enlightened. I'm going to start freaking levitating and, you know, <laughs> I'm still freaking here and my feet are on the ground and, you know, it's a practice. This is just sort of the human experiences. We get to keep practicing these things sometimes over and over and over <laughs> and integrating yeah. what we learn and moving from there. Yeah, totally. I'm so glad you said that because I think that a lot of women, especially successful women, forget that it's, yeah, it's a journey. It's an ongoing journey. Um, and that there is no, there is no end game. There's no sort of like, you know, perfection on the horizon. It's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. And every time, like, I think I've hit kind of my latest vision board for my business was uh, peace is the ultimate end goal. And I feel to a large extent that I have that. Like I look around and I'm like, whoa, my vision was to have a practice in Seattle halftime and Hawaii halftime and um, to have this amazing loving partner and like this great community and be ambassadors of Aloha. And I'm like, whoa, dude, like I'm here. Yeah. And so then I'm like, now what? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, enjoy it. I think that's another big piece is like learning how to like just enjoy where you are at the moment. Um, yeah. Well, and it sounds like I'm, I'm actually curious. It makes me think about success. So we were talking about your stories around health and wellness. What about stories around success and, and kind of what you, what stories you told yourself before and kind of how you think of that now? I was always very like goal oriented and like external, externally oriented. Um, so my success was kind of like how many, I mean, from as far as long back as I can remember, it was like, how many gold stars could I get? You know, what could I add to my collection? And I think that has shifted a lot over the last decade that I've been in this space. That's crazy. I've been in this wellness space for like a decade. And um, it shifted a lot to more internal motivation. Like, does that bring joy to me? Does that keep me in that equanimity space? You know, where am I too high or too low? Do I go to bed thinking, you know, tired and thinking I did a good thing today? Can I see, you know, did I make someone's life better today? So it's instead of like really huge monster goals, 
I guess I track success on more, um, more smaller daily increments. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. And, and it also ties back to what you're saying about being in that middle place, because it sounds Mm -hmm. like what you're saying, like in order to, to be of service and, and, and thus, you know, be successful by that measure, you being in that middle space that you have found is an important piece of, of doing that. Yeah. And pushing through like small fears. So I've moved from a big city. Like I've only, I grew up in the country, um, in Pennsylvania. And then I've basically lived in cities for the last 20 years. And here I am in a rural community again. And, um, there are parts of that that are scary to me of being seen and like making those like connections and what role do I play in this little city? Um, or little not even a city, like little village, <laughs> basically. And so there, the successes for me right now can even be like small things like, oh, I like talk to the lady at the post office like about her kids or like I put myself out there by like um, going to this class and meeting new people. Um, so now just kind of small things of being vulnerable is a success, making actual connections in the community that I'm in, that's a success. Um, Mm -hmm. Anything to kind of smash those little nagging fears that sort of hold me back from community and connection um, and just kind of shining are, are a lot of small successes now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and actually thinking about like, just you're talking about some of these things that you're doing, like talking to the, the woman at the post office, that kind of thing. Are there specific daily habits that you think most contribute to your success? And, and again, that being in that middle place, like one or two things. Definitely. Yeah. I think, um, the practice of, I don't get out of bed until I visualize my day and I feel great about it. So I'll lay in bed and I'll kind of go through the things that I have to do that day and visualize myself there and also how I feel while I'm doing them. And so if I have like an extra jam packed day, which I still do here, <laughs> like the different things I'm in, I'll just kind of say, okay, I'm getting a little nervous. Like when I'm visualizing it, you know, between appointment A and appointment B. Um, so I'll keep replaying that in my mind until I visualize it, doing it in a calm and easy way. And then once I feel great about my day that I'm getting into and that visualization of it, then I'll get up and go from there. That's so great. Yeah, it feels, it's really wonderful, especially for, like I mentioned, like like anxiety has been a big kind of struggle and just part of my story. And so it's really helpful in just, kind of taking anxiety at the front of the day and sort of being like, no, no thanks. So I think that's the biggest one. Yeah. And that's such a simple thing. I mean, anyone can really, can really do that. It's just a matter of making it a, making it a a practice and and a habit. Yeah. And it doesn't take that long. And sometimes I'll have to, you know, if I'm like, no, don't do this today. Like, just get up, stop doing it. Like I'll actually (laughs) put myself back to bed. (laughs) Like, no, you did not do this. (laughs) Like, it's going to take two minutes. Get your butt back in bed and like visualize us. <laughs> <laughs> what, how, how do you make yourself do that on those days? Like what, what, what's the, yeah. How do you do that? That's kind of the voice I use. It's my like, <laughs> I don't know what voice that is. It's like my 
yo, it's probably my grandma, New Jersey voice. She's our <laughs> grandma in New Jersey, as you might guess. And, uh, she's kind of like little taskmaster like that. So grandma, New Jersey lives on. I like it. I like it. <laughs> having, having that sort of alter ego that that's like, okay, seriously, like the one that gets real with you that you're like, okay, yeah. I hear you making excuses, but come on, you know, totally. you'll feel better. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So I'm curious about just, you know, you work with a lot of older and, and even hospice clients with your mm. massage and craniosacral therapy. I'm curious yeah. about any lessons that you might've learned from them about wellness and happiness and success or any combination of those things? Yeah, I've been volunteering with Hospice of Kona here for a little over a year now in bereavement services. So a couple of times a month, I'll go down and for a few hours, I will call families um, who have just lost a loved one and just talk to them and check in to see how they're doing. And then if they need um, counseling, I'll kind of connect them up. These are, I'm actually going there this afternoon too. And, and these are some of my favorite days because um, you hear just wonderful stories um, of people. And I think the most common theme that I have heard is that, you know, in the end, so much of it is based on love. So much of everything. It's kind of like love is the answer to it all, you know, which you hear in Beatles songs. And, you know, <laughs> we get glimpses of every once in a while. Um, but just empirically, that is the, the, the thing that just keeps coming back. And you'll just hear these wonderful stories of, you know, a woman who has lost her mom and she'll just be sharing the stories, the things that she's loved about, um, you know, the decision that they made to like take the mom back in in her last years and care for her. That's another big one I think is interesting is that, you know, people really being grateful that they were able to care for their parents in the last, you know, 10 years, last five years, last year of their life. So that I would say is the biggest, the biggest piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I would love to, as we're sort of coming to a close here, if you could share whether it's based on that or, or, you know, just anything that, that, um, that you want to share, what's kind of one piece of advice that you can leave our listeners with who are, you know, maybe struggling with, with, taking care of themselves or, you know, finding that elusive work-life balance, which I personally don't, don't think exists, but um, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation, but just yeah. one sort of piece of advice that, that, um, you can leave them with about how to find that middle ground, I guess, that you talked about. Oh man, that's tough. <laughs> I, know. I, Sorry. Like, oh, I need to have this like guru moment, you know, like, Oh, it's like the one thing I'm going <laughs> back in my head. Of wisdom. Like, Oh, when I was in this cave in India, this guru said to me, or, you know, something that I got from all these things. Um, I know geez. you have something, Kathy J. Just one, <laughs> one little thing. That's the problem. One and little. Um, is this like a to-do or is this like a yeah, keep on trucking? <laughs> yeah, no, I think a to-do. I think a, I think sort of like what you shared about your morning visualization. I think something, mm. you know, and maybe that's it. I mean, maybe that's the one thing you want to leave folks with, or, you know, maybe there's something else like a small little thing that they can add to their day that, that, or that you've added to your day that you feel like has made, you know, a really big impact. I think connection, um, go head into connecting with nature and the world around you and the people around you and look at what your relationship is to connection and community. So I feel like going forward, 
our society, we've done a lot of awesome work in like self-care and like self-actualization and all these things. And I think the biggest lesson now is how do we learn how to connect back in? You know, now that we've looked at all of our dark spaces with flashlights and microscopes and whatever. Um, you know, I think the next, next question is how do I get out in the world or, or just not even question it, just go out and connect with a tree, go hug a tree, (laughs) (laughs) go hug a person, you know, that I think that's the, at least for me that in my practice right now, that's sort of the next thing is how do I take all these awesome lessons um, and share them with the world. I love that. Thank you so much, Kathy. This was so great. You're so welcome. This was so much fun. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit lauradolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe in the iTunes store. If you liked what you heard, I so appreciate your reviews and recommendations because they help me reach as many women on the rise as possible. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. The Riveter is a work and collaborative space built for change makers, but it's not just a desk. It's a transformative movement for all women and allies to succeed. The Riveter is a movement because it believes that everyone can have a seat at the table and access to opportunities. The organization knows that wellness and professional development can be incorporated into the daily lives of working women everywhere, and the space and events are developed to support that. It's a co-working space with purpose. The Riveter now has two locations in Seattle, and the momentum isn't stopping anytime soon. Next year, look out for a Riveter in Bellevue. Then the Riveter arrives in California and Texas. Stay up to date with them on Facebook and Instagram or at theriveter.co.